heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. Today, we are focused on a call to action from Dr. Michael Yeadon, former senior vice president for Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company, and Dr. Roger Hodkinson, the physician who took on big tobacco to help save lives, and an outspoken Canadian pathologist. He's also chairman of an American biotech company active in DNA sequencing, so he knows a lot about the science involved in these experimental gene therapy, mRNA biological agents. Both men are men of in-depth knowledge about the risk of these experimental gene therapy shots being coerced and forced on people around the world, and they have been courageous in speaking out to save lives for the people of America and the world. In fact, both men have risked death threats and professional retaliation threats. So we are grateful to them for their courage in speaking up, particularly at a time when so many physicians in my own profession and pastors and other government leaders are hiding in the corner, fostering, fostering the deceptions and lies on the public and not standing up for the truth. We are grateful to their courage in speaking out. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm with our guest for the first hour, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, a medical specialist in pathology and a graduate of Cambridge University who has practiced medicine in the UK, Canada, and the United States. He is currently the chairman of an American biotech company active in DNA sequencing, as I mentioned, and was previously the president of the Alberta Society of Laboratory Physicians, an assistant professor in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Alberta, and CEO of a large community-based medical laboratory with a full menu of testing for infectious disease and virology. Nobody better to talk about some of the problems in the testing for COVID than our guest in this first hour. But with all of those formal credentials and experience, he is most proud of his role for many years in the public health advocacy as honorary chairman of ASH, Action on Smoking and Health which is the leading nonprofit organization in Canada tackling the predatory marketing strategies of big tobacco, for which he was made Citizen of the Year in Edmonton, Alberta. Welcome, Dr. Hodkinson. I'm so glad to have you again following the powerful show that we did on Viewpoint on Independence Day in America. I'm really grateful to have you back for a more in-depth discussion on some of the science and your call to action 
and what you see that we all need to be doing to take back our lives and our freedom. My pleasure, Dr. Vliet. Um, this is a very precious hour, and I, I want to rattle through as much as I can to educate people um, about the truth as opposed to the lies that they've been fed for over a year. Well, let's get started. Where would you begin with lie number one? Well, before I do that, let me tell everyone what I'm not. Um, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I take vaccines myself. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I don't believe in the Great Reset. Um, with that said, um, triple emphasis, given my credentials, I'm not a quack. But what you're going to hear is counter to everything that you've been told. So I want you to listen to me very, very carefully for what I have to say. We are at war with our own government. And the tyranny must stop now. I'm going to talk the truth that, prevent, that you've been prevented from hearing from all the usual sources, politicians, the media, the church, and most importantly, physicians. I say to all of them, a pox on the lot of you. They've left you alone at a time of your greatest need. And I think it is despicable what you've been subjected to. So let me lead you through, first of all, if I may, Lee, in brief, um, how we got into this mess. Because there's nothing more than a bad flu. Nothing more than a bad flu in the grand, grand scheme of things, affecting older people a little bit worse. But Fauci, flip-flop Fauci, as I call him, has his sticky fingers all over this from beginning to end with the gain-of-function research that created this monster in this lab in Wuhan. How it got out was accidental. I don't believe that was intentional. But the consequences of it that he's been fanning with all the politicians, all these mandates, um, have largely emanated from him. And if there's one person to despise in this whole episode, it's that vile man, Fauci. His head will roll. He's the walking dead. When the history of this is written as the most despicable episode in not just medical history, but human history, given the scale of what's going on, the general public will be revolted and they will remember they will remember when you're all on trial and they will remember at the next election. So I'm telling you all, all you preachers out there that are silent, all you doctors that are silent, all you, all you governments that are lying, we're coming for you. Watch out. Well, amen to that. I, I, it didn't take a major amount of research back last February to uncover medical papers that showed clearly that Fauci was lying to the public. And the biggest lie at that point, what I found medically, was total lie about hydroxychloroquine not working when he himself was part of the research that had gone on at NIH and CDC, then the Montreal research in 2002 to 2003 showing hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine had potent antiviral activity against SARS-CoV-1 that blocked the ACE2 receptor and prevented entry into the cells and then prevented 
viral replication and reduced inflammation. They knew that. It was published in the Journal of Virology of the NIH in 2005. I found it in five minutes on Google in February 2020. There was a plausible approach to this virus that shared about what, 78% of the viral genome with SARS-CoV-2. So we knew right then that was a lie and you know of others. Indeed. Um, of course, it was important to suppress that because it undermined the very reason to bring in the vaccine at quote, at warp speed. But let me, let me follow on from Fauci's um, adventures that have harmed us all so brutally. Let me elaborate on the fear that it's created and why the fear is there. There are two factors that have prom promoted fear. The first one is the PCR test, a terrible test I can speak to with some authority that when used on the asymptomatic population, the working well is going to be falsely positive 95 to 100% of the time. We don't test the working well. It has no purpose. What it has done, though, is drive fear because of the graph in the morning paper. You should reduce that spike by 95% to get a grip on the true risk that that represents. But also, um, the, the silence is, is the second driver of fear. The silence that's resulted from the most efficient, brutal suppression of opinion from the four sources that you might rely on, politicians, the media, physicians, and the church. Let's, let's talk with, about physicians and the church in more detail. Physicians. Physicians who know what's going on right now, and there are many of them, if not the majority. I say to you all that are listening, you're culpable in all of this. You're contravening two of the central ethics in medicine. First, do no harm and inform consent. You know that. You're culpable. And I despise you as colleagues. I don't know how you can look yourselves in the mirror in the morning. And the church. By way of context, I'm an agnostic, but I'll go to the wall for religious freedom. I was brought up a Methodist. I studied the Bible. And I remind myself of what would Jesus have done in this circumstance? Would he have hidden behind the pillars? No, he turned the tables over in the temple, didn't he? Well, that's what our church leaders should be doing, not hiding behind their pulpits like many of them are. They should be standing up, defending their flock against the massive intrusion of the state into their health, into their welfare, and into their psyche. So I shame you all. I shame you politicians. I shame the mainstream media and the social media giants. I shame my fellow colleagues, and I shame the church. All of you, I shame the lot of you. Because what you're being dished up as the general public is a pack of lies from beginning to end. There's a distortion of the English language as we go along in this trail of woe. The use of the word case, which is no such thing. In medicine, a case is someone who's sick in front of you. 
not someone who has a strand of RNA possibly in their nose. And by the way, the nose is full of bacteria and viruses. We call it snot, don't we? It means absolutely nothing. What about the word safe? Four letters, safe, never qualified, no caveats. Everyone in the game knows that this vaccine is unsafe by any measure, purely experimental. And what about the CDC calling myocarditis in young males and, quote, imbalance, close quotes. I'll tell you who's out of balance here. It's the CDC. They've been wrong serially, just like Fauci and the NIH and the WHO. They're all in cahoots to keep you lots uninformed and fearful, therefore more likely to follow the ridiculous mandates that have been imposed upon you now for over a year and are obviously not working. Remember what Einstein once said about stupidity? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting the outcome to be different. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that the mandates are not working. The masks are utterly useless. When I'm presenting this on by video or at rallies, I ask people to repeat after me, masks don't work. Repeat after me, masks don't work. They couldn't possibly work. They're only used for two principal reasons, to stop me with an infection giving it to you and to stop you getting it from me. Well, when I'm sick or anyone's sick with the flu, what do we do? We self-quarantined at home without the government telling us, no testing required. And we sweated it out until we got better. And in the process, we infected our family naturally, not intentionally, but we built herd immunity the natural way, the safe way, and the cheap way, by the way, and the immediate way. That's what we did when we were sick. And masks don't protect you from me if I have a COVID infection, a real COVID infection. That was shown conclusively in what we call the Danish study, which showed there is no, the masks have no effect on preventing someone from getting COVID in their nose. That coffin has been shut. You cannot solve a nanoscale problem with a macroscale solution. This is not Ebola. This is, I repeat, another bad flu with certain nuances. Well, you know, Dr. Hopkins, and the example I give patients in my office about this, what you just said about you can't solve a nanoparticle problem with a macroparticle solution. A lot of people have a hard time understanding how small a nanoparticle is. And I just say, okay, that would be like trying to stop a mosquito using a chain link fence. <laughs> brilliant, I mean, brilliant analogy. It, yes, it's, it's so common sense. And the whole reason, which the public unfortunately doesn't fully appreciate, the whole reason surgeons and, and surgical teams wear masks in the OR has always been to protect the sterile field of a surgery from the team members coughing or sneezing on the sterile field of the patient where they are operating. It wasn't to protect the spread of some type of nanoparticle between the surgical team members. Exactly. And way that the masks were being used. 
now. Flip-flop Fauci himself was not advocating masks earlier on in this pandemic. And indeed, if they'd been, if they worked at all, we would all have used them during previous flu epidemics. No, the literature is full of the fact on, on, on balance, there's always some papers to the contrary, but the overwhelming evidence is that masks do not work. What they do demonstrate is compliance for the politicians to show that they have you under control. It's been very much like a prisoner of war. They have battered the public into submission in every country in the world. And social distancing doesn't work either because this virus is spread by aerosol as well as direct droplets. So you're walking down an aisle in Walmart and no one's there, but I can tell you the virus is there <laughs> and that's called the roulette game of life. It's a risk that in previous flu epidemics we accepted without question. But now the politicians want to make it some grotesque threat that's going to take away the vast majority of society. Well, it's just not. There's a bigger threat from vaccination than there ever was from this flu. Well, I really think we need to talk about that because I am shocked every day that I do patient appointments at the misinformation in spite of my attempt to educate my patients and all of the work I've done on that front since last February, March, I am shocked at the degree to which educated people still think that these are traditional vaccines and that they protect against infection and spread and they reduce the risk of hospitalization and death, which is not what the clinical trial data showed. But more importantly, I think, Dr. Fliet, we have to rewind the clock here. This was never a public health emergency in the first place, nothing close. And yet, using that word gave them the liberty to accelerate the development of a vaccine and put it out there into billions of arms as a strictly experimental, unsafe product. Clinical trials of vaccines usually last five to seven years, simply because we don't know what we don't know. If we did know, there'd be no need for a trial. And how can you possibly check for fertility issues, which is the norm, if you're only doing a trial for four to six months and excluding pregnant women from the get-go. The last time I checked, Dr. Vliet, when we were in medical school, we were told that pregnancy lasts nine months. Right now, this product is being injected into the bodies of pregnant women with a fetus inside them with no evidence of safety whatsoever. In fact, quite the contrary, substantial evidence of potential harm. That's the scale with which this experimentation on humans is going on. Ladies and gentlemen who are listening, you are the experiment. This is a crime against humanity. Well, one of the things that is truly chilling in line with what you just said is that pregnant women are being told 
by their doctors and by the American College of OBGYN physicians that they risk dying from COVID and they, they risk their baby's death from COVID if they don't get this experimental agent that is itself harmful to a pregnant woman and her baby. And how do we combat those blatant lies? COVID is not a medical threat to the life of a pregnant woman, according to the maternal fetal medicine experts that I personally have interviewed and discussed it with. And they have all said that influenza is a much greater threat to a pregnant woman because they can get very sick from influenza, which is why they use influenza vaccines in pregnancy, but those vaccines don't cross the placenta to harm the developing baby. The COVID illness in pregnant women doesn't affect them like the flu does. They seem to do fine with it, according to, again, to the doctors on the front line treating pregnant women and high risk pregnancy. And what, what they've said is that their biggest concern is that with the lipid nanotechnology particle coding on these experimental gene therapy agents, the shot, that those cross the placental barrier that is unlike anything in our vaccination history ever. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the problem, pregnancy is a state of relatively relative immunosuppression. They, pregnant women are slightly susceptible, increased, have slightly increased susceptibility to infection. Um, it's a state of relative immunosuppression so that the, the woman does not reject the, the developing baby, which is technically speaking a foreign object inside her uterus. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the, the dangers that women experience go before pregnancy even starts. As you, as you mentioned, the, the Pfizer submission to the Japanese authorities for, for approval has just been translated. And it became very clear, as you said, that the particles that are in this vaccine, uh, in rat studies, concentrated very heavily in the ovaries. Now, that was only one animal they should have done two different animals, they didn't do it. But what it does demonstrate that there is significant risk for attack on the ovaries. And for everyone listening, I want you to be aware that a baby girl is born with all the eggs she will ever have in her entire life. You don't make more eggs. You can make more spermatozoa, but you can't make more eggs. So if there's a hit on the ovary, and we all hope it's not a hit, it could have devastating long-term consequences for fertility. But let's, let's forward now to a woman who actually is pre pregnant or about to get pregnant. I can tell you with categorical certainty, having opened up the uteruses of hundreds of women after they've had a hysterectomy, that the lining of the uterus is the most fragile, lush tissue in the entire human body. It's intended to be so, to be a very welcoming area for an, a fertilized ovum. And it takes exquisitely little to disturb that environment and make it shed. That's how women have periods every month. And what we've now discovered about this spike protein that's being produced by the vaccination 
the, that, that spike protein has a very specific receptor in the human body. It's called the ACE2 receptor. And it's on the inside of every blood vessel, which means it's on the inside of every blood vessel in the very fragile endometrium that is going to be welcoming for the fertilized ovum. So I think you can see how vulnerable the endometrium is to bleeding and shedding and denying a pregnancy. But it goes worse than that. It goes worse than that because that ACE2 receptor is not just lining every blood vessel. It's also heavily expressed in the placenta itself and also, by the way, in the testis, not in the ovary. There's a different mechanism of action for potential infertility there. But I think you can see with that constellation of potential causes of infertility, we could be looking at the most terrible consequences because we're injecting this stuff into billions of arms as we speak. And we don't know the long-term effects on fertility for both women and men. We may not know them with certainty, but the science that we've all studied and certainly the work I've done in climacteric medicine for 35 years in the physiology and the function of ovaries in women and testicles in men and the impact on every organ system in our body, it leads me to be very concerned that any disruption of ovarian function in women and testicular function in men not only has an impact on fertility, but it has an impact on all of the metabolic function of all of those hormones that affect all of our bodies. I've written many books for consumers on these very points. And, and it's been a major focus for my career. And I'm here to tell you, there are many infectious diseases and many environmental um, endocrine disruptors, dietary endocrine disruptors, and other kinds of medical and surgical problems that affect the ovarian function, leading to loss of normal hormone balance, which causes massive disruption in quality of life and the health of all the organ systems in the body. So the fact that the data already shows concentration in the ovaries and concentration in the testicles and effects on the placenta and then effects on the developing baby, I, I just find the implications staggering to the point that I can hardly wrap my mind around what we're likely to see in the years to come. Vaccination of children as well is a serious concern um, because of those long-term consequences. I call vaccination of children state-sanctioned child abuse. And I say that for this reason. Children are not coming down with this condition. It, they brush it off like a minor upper respiratory tract infection. So if they're not dying of it, dying of it or there hasn't been a single death in, North, in, in all of North America in a child under 19 who didn't also have some serious underlying disease. So well, that's not... right. Let's talk about children when we come back from the break, because I, I think since that's the big push on the vaccination front, we, we want to go into more depth. We need to take a short break right now, and we will be right back. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, and we will be back with Dr. Roger Hudkinson in just a moment. 
Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America with our guest, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, a leading Canadian pathologist and one of the two leading physicians with a call to action for stop the shot because of the rising deaths and injuries with these experimental vaccination gene therapy, mRNA agents that we are so concerned about. Welcome back, Dr. Hodgkinson. You were talking about the the risk to children before the break. So let's pick up there and continue with what you were saying. Absolutely. The, the bottom line is there is no risk for children. Children are not coming down with serious COVID infections. They brush it off as an ordinary cold, cold or cough. In all of North America, there hasn't been a single death in a child under 19, I believe, who has not also had serious underlying disease. So they're not getting it, and therefore they don't need protection from it. And most certainly, they don't need to be injected with something to try and protect them from something that's, that's not going to affect them if that same agent has loads of potential serious complications for them in later life. It's Let's despicable. talk about the, what are some of the risks that children face with the experimental mRNA products being injected? Well, they're coming out of the woodwork as expected. Um, the latest one, of course, is myocarditis in young males. Uh, the, the Israelis first blew the whistle on that one. And then when the CDC heard about it, um, they, as I said before, they called it, oh, it's just an imbalance. Well, 
you see, when you get random death of small heart muscle cells, that's not a mild thing at all. That's very, very serious medical problem. Because although most people get over it, what you're actually doing is killing a certain number of your heart muscle cells, which will never regenerate. And it's that reserve of the heart that you will rely upon as you get older. We know for a fact that myocarditis, for other reasons, other viral infections, before COVID ever broke, we know for a fact that myocarditis, the consequences of it, can present decades later with premature onset of heart failure, heart rhythm irregularities, and so on. That's not an imbalance at all. That's an extremely serious risk. That's merely one of the complications, quite apart from the, the fertility issues that, that we've referred to. We're also seeing neurologic damage in children and adults, and I have a lot of experience in some of the in the management of a number of neurologic disorders. And given that these experimental mRNA products actually cross into the blood-brain barrier because of that lipid nanoparticle coating, and again, we've never had vaccines that crossed into the blood-brain barrier and affected the brain and central nervous system. And I think there's a great deal of explanation as to why we're seeing so many neurologic complications that a lot of our colleagues, physicians said, oh, there could be no connection to the vaccines. Oh, good grief. No, you're crazy. They're labeling women hysterical, which is outrageous. What are, how would you explain some of what we're seeing with the effects of the spike protein getting into the central and peripheral nervous system? Let me explain, first of all, for your listeners, Dr. Vliet. Um, how this vaccine was intended to work. They're, they're injecting into your arm these tiny um, lipid particles that have RNA, messenger RNA inside them. Uh, the, the coating is intended to protect the messenger RNA from destruction because it's very vulnerable to being destroyed by enzymes in the blood. So this stuff gets injected into your arm simply as a place that's safe. Those little particles then travel up to your lymph nodes in your armpit and they fuse with certain cells there that are intended to identify them as invaders. They inject that messenger RNA into those cells. The, the little particles get their contents injected into those cells. And it's those cells in those lymph nodes that start manufacturing the spike protein and they present it on the surface of their cells after it's been produced so that the immediately adjacent lymphocytes start producing antibodies and what we call cellular T-cell immunity. Now that is the intended meth method of vaccination. What it doesn't recognize is that we're all different in our biological functions. Some people are probably producing a huge excess of that spike protein that isn't mopped up in that way. And indeed, some of the vaccine particles are probably escaping from the lymph nodes too. So you get into the general circulation an excess of spike protein and the leftovers of these vaccine particles that circulate around the entire body and through every organ. And it may well be that this more general neurologic complaint that we hear of as brain fog 
it sounds from this from the word use of the word fog of fuzziness it's probably a result we think unproven of a very diffuse attack on the brain very microscopic lesions in different parts of the brain there'd be no reason to discriminate one part of the brain from another what's the consequence of that answer we don't know is it reducing your brain reserve too will it produce premature dementia we don't know this is the scale of what's going on a great unknown the most massive medical experiment ever undertaken as i said before to everyone listening remember you are the experiment it could have monstrous consequences for fertility for future neurological function for your heart function possibly decades later do we have to wait that long no it should stop now stop the shot now it's urgent it, we can't delay another day not a single additional child should be forced to roll up his or her sleeve and go and the, the person doing the shot goes jab 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 absolutely no informed consent these poor children are just being used as guinea pigs our most precious asset being used as a guinea pig there's no excuse for that and retribution will follow well we we have got to find a way to counter the massive propaganda campaign that is manipulating mothers through fear of their children dying if they don't take them to get the vaccine as fast as possible. And I know you have some thoughts about what needs to be done and some recommendations for people to be more assertive and stand up to this medical tyranny. Let's, let's share, let's have our listeners hear some of your ideas on that. Yes, the, the grand scheme of things, sadly, not much. We're all protesting one at a time. There's no real coordination of resistance. There is a need for large scale protests such as they had in Britain on two occasions with half a million people walking down the center of London. Um, this is a time to protest, to try and get through to the politicians the scale of what they're undertaking and to let them know very clearly that their re-election is very much in doubt when the truth of this finally comes out. And not just their re-election, but their own personal vulnerability. So go and see your elected representatives. Bang the table. Ask them. Demand for them to demand of government and the medical officers of health in each state, in each country. Why are you doing this? This is the grossest form of medical malpractice we have ever seen. So that's one thing you can do. Protest, demand answers. Another thing you can do is get hold of what are called notices of liability. A notice of liability, templates are available widely on the internet. What this means is you go to see your teacher or the school principal or your employer 
with this letter and you put it on the table with their name on it. And the letter says, look, if you force me or my child to go through with this vaccination and some of these terrible things happen and others unspecified, I am putting you on notice legally right now. You will be sued. Has that got your attention? And it might get their attention because it's getting increasingly difficult to buy what's called director's liability insurance. Many people, many organizations are not buying that anymore because it's too expensive. So what you're trying to do here is intimidate the very people who are intimidating you. Tit for tat. Look them straight in the eye and tell them, I'm coming after you if you force me to go through with this. For some of them, you might get attention and they may back down. Other things you can do personally, consider taking, I'm not your physician, I'm not recommending you do this, but it's your decision. But there is ample evidence that vitamin D, 5,000 international units a day, is very protective against COVID and lessening the severity of the disease if you get it. Some people suggest supplementing it with 50 milligrams of zinc. Of course, you can't prophylact against this with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine because that is prohibited by the state, by the country, by the province. And I say to that, they can't have it both ways. If they say out of one side of their mouth that this is an emergency, which it's not, we know that, but let's accept that for a moment. If this is indeed an emergency that warrants the introduction of an unsafe so-called vaccine, then by the same token, you should allow physicians to prescribe what they believe to be effective treatment for people that are coming down with COVID. I'm talking about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. It's unconscionable that that is being prohibited. So, that, that intervention, as Dr. McCullough has said publicly, if people who, had, who go to hospital, who are not sick enough to be admitted because their oxygen level is not low enough, essentially be there being told this, go home and come back if you're blue, by which time, of course, it may be too late. They should go home with a package of ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or both to try and save their lives because the, the, the 600,000 odd lives that have been lost in the United States of America, allegedly due to COVID, Dr. McCullough believes that a half a million of those could have been prevented had they been treated early on with these agents to save their lives. That is gross medical malpractice because they can't have it both ways. If it is an emergency, then take the dogs off physicians and allow them to practice medicine. I say to politicians out there, stick to your knitting. You know nothing about medicine. And they have not only interfered with the practice of medicine by making false statements, as you outlined, but they have also politicians, governors, and state medical boards and state pharmacy boards have actively prevented and restricted 
physicians from prescribing the medications that we know work, that are allowed and FDA approved and safe for many other medical conditions we use every day in our practices, but they have restricted it for COVID and knowingly restricted it and threatened doctors with loss of license if they disobey. That is beyond medical malpractice. That rises to the level of malfeasance where people in authority are using their power to prevent medical treatment to save lives. Absolutely. And, and let, let everyone know the various levers of power that they have to intimidate doctors. The first one is depending upon the country you're in, in a place like Canada with only one system of medicine where you get paid by government, um, they can deny you a license to practice and, and bill the healthcare system for your services. It's a star chamber in which you're guilty until proven innocent and contesting it will bankrupt you. Physicians know that and it makes them petrified. Doesn't excuse them for going with the flow, but it certainly gets your attention. They can also, at the faculty level, unilaterally cancel your faculty positions, which is an additional loss of livelihood, as has happened to Dr. Christian recently, an orthopedic surgeon in Saskatchewan. They can also call the hospital directly and say, get rid of that guy, cancel his privileges, click, you're done. They've also been prohibiting us from talking out loud about any of these matters, including the possibility of treatment and how government is managing this. Because I do want everyone to be aware that the management of this by these so-called public health officials is the practice of medicine on society. The politicians are merely the useful idiots to implement what these so-called medical officers of health have been telling them to do. And so those very government of medic physicians in government who are the essentially the architect of all of this, those physicians are themselves massively vulnerable to the allegation of medical malpractice. And they think they're immune because of statute, but they have a big surprise coming to them because immunity is only relative. And it's no defense for them to say, oh, oh, sorry, you know, um, really, we didn't know, because they do know. They know in spades what they're doing. And at Nuremberg, when seven so-called physicians were swung for what they did, that defense did not work. Ignorance, claimed ignorance, when they knew full well, is no defense. Now, I'm not suggesting that that happens to all these physicians and preachers out there, but at the next election, they've got their comeuppance. People will remember what, who, who organized all of this, who implemented it, who ignored the facts, who actually killed people. These colleges are supposed to be the protectors of the public from us, that we're not pedophiles, so we don't cut off the wrong leg. That's their job. 
It's not their job to be the enforcers of government's actions. No, it's just the opposite. They should be banging the table with government to say, why the hell are you doing this? You're killing people. It's medical malpractice. So I say to the colleges and regulatory bodies out there, you are a big part of this problem. Instead of keeping people alive, you are killing people. It's exactly the opposite way it should be. It's Orwellian in concept. Well, that is, has been a concern for many of us on the front line treating patients here in the States as well, is the total betrayal of trust in these public health agencies, the regulatory bodies, our politicians, our physicians at large, and, and pastoral leaders as well, who've all kowtowed. What, what I've, in the macro view, let's say the 50,000 foot view, what I've been seeing is that all of the agencies and social institutions that you, you listed earlier, the politicians, media, physicians, and churches, for example, all of them have been absolutely subjugated to becoming agents of the state to perpetuate totalitarian control of the population and totalitarian control of medical information and medical treatment options. And we have never seen that in the free world in my lifetime. When you're knowledgeable and do nothing, you're culpable. And we're coming after you lot. We're coming after you in elections. We're gonna come after you in the courts. You will no have nowhere to hide when the evidence is so overwhelming and it's published as a brief in court. It would be very wise of you all, you authoritarian bastards who are doing this to us. It would be very wise of you to recant now, because at the end of the day, there's going to be blood in the gutter. And when that happens, the tragedy is that we cannot bring back the people who died and the people who've been damaged. I listened to Senator Ron Johnson's press conference on June 29th with a number of patients speaking out about the devastating injuries from these experimental gene therapy products they euphemistically call a vaccine. It was heartbreaking. And those patients' lives are likely disrupted for the foreseeable future, those that didn't die. And that's why you and Dr. Yeadon and many others and lawyers and other courageous physicians and scientists from a number of countries now have signed documents, have, have signed on to lawsuits with this campaign to stop the shot. 
What can our listeners as consumers do? You mentioned the notice of liability letter. Are there other action steps that you can suggest? We have about five minutes left in the show today, and I'd like for us to leave our listeners with a call to action to support the kinds of work that you and your colleagues and all of us are doing. Well, um, other than personal actions, um, donate to organizations that are trying to to address this at a political level with the media. Um, There is an organization about about to start, an international organization that you'll all be aware of soon, uh, that needs money to get ahead of uh, ahead of the noise. Um, that's a very important thing to to donate and to be the boots on the ground that are spreading the message about the true facts as opposed to the hearsay and lies that you're being fed all along. Uh, try and live life um, as normally as you can. As I said, um, you know, hug your kids, um, shake hands, um, dine out. Um, take the mask to... off. Take I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Try, try to regain the normality that you once took for granted. Retake your independence. Grab it back from the state before you have no liberty left. There's no point in liberty if you're dead. And all of you preachers and doctors out there, you too. Although you've been silent so far, stand up and be counted for God's sake. There's so much at risk here. You cannot put yourselves ahead of society. That's why we get the doctor title. That's why you get a minister's title, because you put other people first and you've been doing the reverse. So help us, help us with all of this, with a groundswell of support from medicine and the church and lawyers we'd have government in a corner but we've got to be united we've got to be vocal and visible and we have to be well funded i hate to say that but you can't stop a juggernaut with a pea shooter we have to be organized and we've all been saying very well-meaning things but it's not moved the needle very much meanwhile children are still being vaccinated with plans to accelerate that down to six months of age. This must stop. We must stop the shot and we must do it now. All I can say is amen to that. We have started and you are part of this initiative, Truth For Health Foundation, and people can go to our website, www.truthforhealth.org, and get information on the vaccine alerts. Dr. Hodkinson, Dr. Yeadon, Dr. McCullough, and many other leaders in the COVID early treatment movement and the, the campaign to alert the public to the serious risk of these experimental shots for COVID. All of us are working together under this foundation umbrella as a public charity to bring information and educational programs and telemedicine services 
into churches and community groups. We have an initiative called Medicine and Ministry United, which goes to the very point that Dr. Hodkinson is bringing up today, that doctors and pastors have to stop cowering in their office and behind the pulpit and unite to educate the people of this country in the churches and in the community groups and in doctor's offices about what they can do to stay healthy, what the real risks are of waiting too late to be treated for COVID, and what are the risks of these experimental shots. And all of us are working together. We need all of you to get on board with us and help support our efforts and invite us into your churches. We have doctors who will speak, who will give programs. We are ready to help our community and we need to be working together. Dr. Hodkinson, thank you for being here today. Any last words for our listeners? Three words. Simply say no. Great way to end. This is America Out Loud. Get loud, get involved, and stand up and take back your life, your medical freedom, and your freedom to live your life. Speak out and make the world around you a better place. Stay tuned for the second hour with Dr. Mike Yeadon. Heart and soul of a nation beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor, honor, honor. our soul. soul, the challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. This is a hard-hitting hour two. We are continuing the call to action we discussed in hour one with Dr. Roger Hodkinson. And now we have a British scientist and former vice president of Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company who is speaking out on the dangers of the experimental gene therapy vaccines that are not true vaccines, but are working in very different ways from anything we've ever used before. And the doctors and scientists who know the facts and who are dealing with in the front lines of escalating deaths and injuries with these experimental products are trying to speak out and educate you to the medical and scientific facts that may save your life. So this is the second hour of Stop the Shot with Dr. Michael Eden, former vice president, senior vice president of Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company. And when he left Pfizer for another position in 2011, Dr. Eden was vice president and chief scientist for their respiratory and allergic diseases unit 
worldwide. He has incredible scientific credentials to bring to this discussion today. He's a professional research scientist. He spent over 30 years at the senior level in the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industries. He has been a consultant to 30 startup biotech country companies. He has a first class joint honors degree in biochemistry and toxicology and a research-based PhD in respiratory pharmacology. That means he is a detailed, in-depth scientific student and researcher in things that damage the lungs and the toxicology, the toxicity of environmental agents, medicines, and even these so-called vaccines. Welcome to our two uh, Voice of a Nation, Dr. Eden, Eden, and thank you for being with us on Viewpoint this Sunday earlier on this platform on America Out Loud. Those of you that missed that show, Viewpoint this Sunday for Independence Day, July 4th, 2021, go back and grab that podcast because that was a powerful segment leading into more that we will be talking about in this hour. So thank you, Dr. Eden, for being with us today. Dr. Lee, it's a, it's a real pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak to your audience. It's, it's so important. I've been, uh, been speaking out for pretty much a year now with increasing uh, ferocity uh, that things are not as they seem and they are dangerous. And I, I'm really privileged to have an opportunity to speak to your audience today. Well, we, we just are grateful for your courage in speaking out. You know, uh, we, we Americans have to say that our British friends and colleagues are a little too reserved. We need mm. the American fighting spirit and we need you to light our fire. So <laughs> you're, you're here. You can be uh, Dr. Eden Unleashed on America Out Loud. This is your platform to speak out. Great. Well, I, I will take the opportunity. So uh, I must say, uh, when I started observing what was going on early on in the, in the so-called pandemic uh, in the spring of 2020, I, I remember feeling very unhappy at the restrictions to freedoms, the idea of uh, lockdown and so on. But I think like most people, we thought, well, maybe we are in new territory, don't really quite know what's going to happen. But after this three weeks to flatten the curve, I don't know whether you got the lie of three weeks to flatten the curve, but we did. And here we are now, 16 months later, not quite uh, chained in our houses, but it's not far from that. And after the three weeks to flatten the curve and they said, we're going to extend it. My wife reminds me that I was I was raving and raging around the house saying we are in so much trouble. I, I knew at the time that was not right. So we can we should go through. Uh, Broad, broadly what we've been told and I'm just going to pick off some of the highlights I want to convince anyone who's not quite clear about how much you know hazard there is in the environment and whether the things your governments and mine are telling us are appropriate or not but I you know I don't want to uh, spoil the fun for you but absolutely every central narrative point about this virus is a lie it's an artful lie They've come up with statements that are, I would say, adjacent to the truth. They sound plausible, but they're not. To a professional 
research scientists like me with over 30 years, my craft, I can tell you, and no one has yet managed to <laughs> contradict me. When I've, I've moved to the, the everything is a lie mode, maybe three or four months ago. And the, the reason it's important, and you mentioned British Reserve, Dr. Lee, it is true that the, the way of debating matters in British science is usually to say, you know, well, the lady or gentleman is mistaken, or maybe it's just a difference of emphasis, or my interpretation is different from his or hers. Uh-uh. The, the problem here is statements are being made which are not true. And when they're made by people I regard as my scientific peers, that's a lie. And there's a difference here. If I argue that maybe PCR tests aren't very accurate, and the chief scientific advisor to the British government, Sir Patrick Brown, says, no, no, they're very reliable. I cannot expect the public to be able to decide whether Dr. Eden or Sir Patrick are correct. Whereas if I say the PCR test is an unsuitable method for determining whether you are infected, that's a true statement. And therefore, anyone who says that it is a suitable test is lying. Now, imagine how this lands with the public. The public is not trying to work out whether my scientific view and Sir Patrick's, which one is the right one. The question is now turned around, which is, is what Dr. Eden has said true? This is not a, a proper test. Uh, and the answer is that is true. If you, everybody could go and find the inventor, Dr. Carrie Mollis, who won a Nobel Prize for inventing the very technique of polymerase chain reaction, he repeatedly said it's unsuitable for determining whether you are clinically infected. And yet around the world, that's the technique they're using. And, and well, so- Liz, can one, we tell our listeners briefly, yeah. very, very, very briefly, why it is not reliable, you and I understand yeah. that, but let's explain that because that's one of the biggest lies. Yeah, you, you have eight COVID lies that we want to talk about today, <laughs> and that's one of the big ones. Just in simple language, why is the PCR not reliable? Yeah, so the PCR test essentially, if you think of it as it's a doubling tool, every time you turn the handle on a crank, it doubles the amount of material in this test tube, essentially a virtual test tube. It's a copying machine. Um, and you'll hear things like cycles and cycle thresholds. Basically, it's a matter of turning the crank repeatedly until you can amplify something that's invisible to make it visible. That, that's what it is. And if you turn the, the crank handle as many times as you like before calling uh, before deciding whether or not the test is positive, you can almost always make it positive by doing, basically, you can create something out of nothing, as Carrie Mollis would say. What we should be doing is using like what's called an internal standard. You would add a certain amount of virus that came from a person with symptoms to a tube, and then you would say, well, we need to hit that mark after, say, 10 cycles or 20 cycles. And if they're, if they're not showing positive at this point, we'll say, okay, they don't have enough. But what they've been doing in my country is turning the crank handle for maybe 40 times, which is multiplying by one trillion. Now, it basically it means that if there's anything in the clinical sample, way too little to cause you any symptoms, way too little to mean that you could be infectious, you could still have a positive in this PCR test and you have become a case. And if you die uh, within 28 days, you become a COVID death. And that's just nonsense. That's basically it. It's they have not properly calibrated the test, and it really isn't, it's not a good test for doing that. That's, that's the heart of it. Well, and it's a little bit like saying, 
that if you amplify it enough, you can pick mm. up a fragment of a coronavirus that you had a year ago or two years ago from a cold. Oh, uh, almost. Certainly, you, there's no question if you had the virus a few, certainly a few weeks, a couple of months ago, yeah, yeah. If you turn the handle enough, it'll find a positive, even though it's what's called dead nucleotide. I think t- uh, Dr. Fauci said dead nucleotides. So, yes, you could. it isn't really finding the virus at all, Dr. Lee. It's what it's doing is finding fragments. And, and if the fragment is very small and very old and very little of it, you're just as positive if you can turn the crank handle as many times as you like with no limit uh, as compared with uh, showing a strong positive band after just a, sm- a small number of turns of the handle. So it, we would have been a fairer test if we'd agreed globally uh, that you can only amplify this a few times before declaring the result. And if it's negative, it's negative. But we haven't done that. They basically... Uh, a bit like, yeah, they basically turned the amplifiers to 11 and then, you know, told you it's a tune. And it's just, it's nonsense. So, so that's one of the lies. Um, but let me say there's just a, a few others. Um, one of them is a novel virus has come from China. Because it's novel, there won't be any immunity in the population. So you're all vulnerable. And by the way, this is kind of unusually lethal. It's, it's going to kill a lot of people. Well, let me just unpick that. That's one broad lie characterizing the virus. So yeah, it's, it's a novel virus, but it's actually 80% similar to a virus that was in the world in 2003. 80% similar. And it's also something like 40 to 60% similar to four viruses that contribute towards the common cold. Now, your authorities didn't bother to tell you that. But if, you've, if you're swimming in a sea of viruses and fungi and bacteria and so on, you'll have encountered some of them. And even if something is only 40 to 60 percent similar, the people who fought off those those brethren of this SARS-CoV-2, you'll have picked up some immunity. And when you see this new virus, you're probably going to be immune. And, and that is true. So it's a new virus, but it's so similar to lots of antecedent viruses that lots of people had functional immunity, probably 50 percent of the population, maybe more. And then this um, lie about unusual lethality. No, it's not. It's not true. Um, uh, Dr. John Ioannidis, who's uh, one of the most famous epidemiologists working in the world today, he's, I think he's at Stanford in America. His assessment globally is that the infection fatality ratio, how lethal is this? How likely is it to kill people? It is a little bit worse than influenza, but just a little bit worse. And so that's the scale of it. It's, it's uh, lots of people had immunity and it was only a little bit worse than flu. And it's got a really steep age lethality curve. So unfortunately, sadly, um, if you're close to death by virtue of age and chronic illnesses, yep, it's the sort of thing that can take you, uh, take you away, carry away, kill you. But if, you, on the contrary, if you're under 70 and you don't have chronic illnesses, you can pretty much ignore it. Yes, so Dr. Eden just told you the working age population should have completely ignored this virus wait so we closed all the businesses and made people stay at home that's right it's a lie it's just just a complete lie so well and that yeah they they pretty much shut our our society down for six months but then here's the next slide that here's one in case that first one was too complicated let let me give you a, a an easier ball to hit everybody was told pretty much because this is a novel virus uh there aren't any treatments and that's, be, that's remained true officially right to today. Well, I'm afraid um, I can name five or six off the bat. Remember, my job when I was in industry 
was to determine potential new mechanisms for design of new drugs and then help with others uh, bring them forward through clinical development. That's what I did for 32 years. So when I tell you there is clear evidence of activity, useful activity with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, ivermectin, budesonide, fluvoxamine, and then my voice fades out. You know, there are, I would say this is the most treatable respiratory viral infection ever. So on the one hand, your government's told you to run and hide, cover your face, wait for the vaccine, close your business, stay at home, keep kids from school. Dr. Eden has authoritatively told you that this is the most treatable respiratory viral infection ever. And you, you can decide who's lying and who's truthful by looking, for example, at the work of Dr. Peter McCulloch at Baylor in Texas. He is the most published person in his field. He's the uh, chair of two major medical journals in America. And he has led the publication, working across the world, uh, of uh, treatment guidelines uh, for, for COVID-19. And all those drugs I just mentioned and others are in his list. It's got at least 50 authors, it's peer reviewed and it's in the literature. So you can decide now whether what you've been told by your government anywhere around the world, in America or anywhere around the world, what I am telling you is true, that there are plenty of treatments. I believe 80% of the people who died a COVID death should be alive. Uh, they basically were killed by, uh, by, by um, withdrawal or prevention of being given appropriate treatments. And I'm afraid that's not just a scientific opinion. I call that mass murder. When I realized what was going on, uh, I came between somewhere between tearful and furious, and I've remained furious ever since, Dr. Lee. Well, that is exactly the what we need is for our listeners to get angry, and you and yeah. I, as as a physician and scientist, are angry at the lies that we know have been told. And I started treating my own patients in March 2020 with exactly the medicines you mentioned. Met Dr. McCullough in July and been working with him ever since. And actually, I'm one of the authors of his 57 authors Fantastic. on that paper. Because paper. we know that it worked. And, I, and for our listeners, to put it in perspective in the United States, listeners know that their primary care doctors have for years been saying, you have to start Tamiflu for influenza within 48 hours of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Tamiflu is not nearly as effective against influenza, even in the first 48 hours, as hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D, the whole combination yep, yep, are yep. against coronavirus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. And if we yep. start, which I did, and so many of our frontline doctors did, if we started treatment with the combination, one drug wasn't enough. We used the combination that you mentioned within the first five days of symptoms, everybody I treated turned around quickly and no one I treated went into the hospital and no one died in part because we started it so fast and I yeah. hit them with everything that we knew worked. Exactly. So when I, as a, again, a drug discovery professional, that's what I was doing. Uh, so uh, just, just to explain to her, just pick up what Dr. Lee just said there. So respiratory viral infections, they're, they, 
they damage you in a multiple, in a series of ways over time. So first, when it lands in your body, uh, it will start to infect the lining cells of your lung and it'll replicate and spread and replicate and spread. And that's why you start to get symptoms. And then you start to fight back. That's your immune system fights back. You may get a temperature and so on. So in the early stages, you want to stop the virus replicating, which is what hydroxychloroquine and zinc does. But if it becomes inflammatory, uh, that basically your immune system is attacking and trying to kill the virus or the virus infected cells, you can get overwhelmed with inflammation. So you might want to tune down that inflammation with ivermectin or pudesonide, which is a steroid that we use in people who have asthma. So, and then the end stage disease, you often hear people getting sticky blood, you know, uh, micro blood clots around the lung. And so sure enough, they use blood thinners and a pixie band and things like that. It's entirely logical. It's entirely logical. What isn't logical is your government saying, or your medical profession, because they're lying too, uh, more or less saying to you, there's nothing we can do for you, stay at home until you're blue and then turn up in the emergency room and you know, we'll do our best. So what I want to do now though, Dr. Lee, if I may, I'm going to skip through the remainder of the lies because they're all joined up together, this next block, because I, I want to have a good long time to talk about the vaccine. So the, here's the next lies. One is let's, let's also yeah, skip yeah. through the and talk about the, the rest of your eight, but we'll wrap up the yeah. first segment and then spend the whole second segment talking about the, the vaccines. Perfect. Perfect. So just quickly. So we're told to cover our face with these 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 ridiculous masks. They do not prevent transmission of respiratory viruses. We've known it for years. It's been studied formally and it's reported in the medical literature. So if anyone thinks I'm untrue. Uh, uh, not not telling the truth, I can give them the references. So if someone happens to write in Dr. Lee, I will give you the reference. You can go and look it up. So you don't need to be wearing masks. But here's the things that really, really piss me off, really annoy me. This, this idea that you, a person, could have no symptoms whatsoever, but you're a respiratory health threat to other people, so-called asymptomatic transmission. It's just complete nonsense. It's like a fairy story. The reason you have to be symptomatic to be a good source of infection is there's a relationship between how much virus you have in your lung and how much symptoms you've got. And when I've just said that, everyone knows that's true. Why would anyone believe the nonsense that the authorities are telling you? So that's not true. Transmission without symptoms is not true. Basically, the closer you are to being well, the less likely you are to infect other people. It's pretty much linear. And so if you're well, why would you need a mask? Why would you need to stay away from other people? And then finally, the lies, uh, well, not finally, but lockdown. The idea of lockdown was stop people interacting because this is a disease of human transmission. And it sounded logical, but it's wrong because the number of contacts you have in a day is not relevant. It's the number of infectious contacts you have in a day. That's what matters. So if you interact and you're physically well, you interact all day with people without coughs and colds and sneezes, you can't infect them or be infected, but they've closed your business. They've made you stay at home. They've terrified you, closed the schools. Yeah, they've been lying to you for 15 months, destroying your economy, your own heart, your businesses, civil society. You just want to not take this anymore. And then one, one last um, lie, which I think is frightening because of the implications, they're telling us about variants. You know, the, it's now gone to letters of the alphabet like Delta and, and Lambda. Let me tell you that although this virus, when it copies itself inside your cell, it does make errors, typographical errors. They're so tiny. The most different variant from the original is 0.3% different. 
it's 99.7% close, uh, similar, identical to each other or more. And I assure you the immune system in the human body, if it sees something at one time and then it sees something that's 99.7% the same, there's no question your body will know that it's the same thing. So don't worry about variants. But when you hear your authorities talking about giving you booster shots to take care of these variants, you should be afraid because you don't need a top up for something that's varied by so little. And I am personally, genuinely terrified about what's going to be in those uh, booster shots. So th those are the main lies. Well, and I would just add for our listeners to understand, we knew in February 2020 that there were already 60 variants. This idea, this yeah. is another lie that's happening in our media constantly right now that, oh, the variants are out, they're so dangerous, and these are variants that are developing because of unvaccinated people. That's just total BS. We yeah. had 60-some variants that <clears throat> were at least, that was a number quoted by many experts. In February 2020, we've had variants from the beginning of this particular virus, and it, it happens all the time. So they are using the variants as a psychological weapon of fear to mm -hmm. drive people into the box canyon of vaccination, which yes. is like out West, we cowboys would round up Mustangs and they didn't have fences and growls over the whole wild West. So they would drive the horses or whatever into these box canyons where the horses had no escape. That's exactly. Yeah what's happening to the human population right now. The government's rounding you up, mobilizing you with fear and getting you to run into the box canyon from which you have no escape. And they're not telling you that, that people are dying from the vaccines, that people are being injured in ways that likely set them up for even permanent injury, which we're gonna spend the whole second segment talking about. But I just want our listeners to understand the concept of variance is being so dangerous. Listen to what Dr. Yeadon just said. They are not dangerous. In fact, the Delta variant is less lethal than the original Wuhan virus. Yeah. It spreads, but it's less lethal. And they're using that to scare you, to push you, to coerce you, to intimidate you, to use a weapon of fear. We must stand up to the psychology of fear and the abuse of the American and people and the people around the world. So with, with that passionate plea from, from an American physician who's treating people and dealing with the consequences of fear that my patients are just scared to death by these media stories, let's stop at this point, take a short break, and we'll be right back with a power pack second segment with Dr. Michael Yeadon, former vice president of Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company. And as he said, a drug discovery scientist professional continuing his focus on the eight COVID lies and urging people to pay attention to these warnings. We'll be right back. Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits 
are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list, and they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. There was a time when Americans could rely on the fourth estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Welcome back to the second segment of Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Teen Nation guest host continuing the conversation with Dr. Michael Yeadon on Stop the Shot. What are the dangers and risk of these experimental COVID injections that people are being coerced and frightened into taking while they are still experimental? You are the guinea pig. Let's find out what you need to know to protect yourself. So, Carry on, Dr. Eden. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I would first like to say that these gene-based um, treatments, um, they should never have been made available to the American people or other people at this stage of development. Why do I say that? They're still half, they're kind of half-baked. They're about a third of the way through their uh, final phase three trial. So we actually don't have the data you would normally have before a medicine or a vaccine is made available to the general public. They've been made available under what's called an emergency use authorization. The idea was, well, there was such a public health emergency and this is all we had and there were no alternative treatments. No, we were just discussing 10 minutes ago 
the, the, the welter of really effective safe medicine. So that's why your government lied to you about there not being treatments. And there were plenty of good treatments, but they lied to us about that at the cost of lives of your relatives so that it would allow them to create the conditions where a half-developed gene-based vaccine could be foisted on you. Seriously, these things should be withdrawn from the market even if they were safe and they're not. And we're going to talk about that. But I want to make it absolutely clear that I would say they are criminally available. Someone somewhere made a decision and lots of people followed on to say, we're going to make sure that people don't know that there are effective treatments so we can slide this emergency use authorization across the desk. I don't know who's done that, but that, that's really important for you to know. The next thing, though, um, is to say that even if, you know, they're not even necessary. I'm a pro-vaccine person. I can't work in the pharmaceutical industry for over 30 years and not be pro-new medicines. I'm pro-innovative new medicines, provided they're well-developed and safe and used appropriately, but this is not any of those things. They're not necessary because few people are really susceptible to this virus, and then they can be effectively treated with cheap, well-understood, effective, safe drugs. But okay, um, if you have to have, a, have a, a vaccine, you need to study how does it work? What are the consequences? And here's where I, this is again in my area of strength. I'm toxicology, uh, first degree and pharmacology. So I would understand how drugs work and adverse effects. When you get injected with these gene-based vaccines, no one has been asked to study. The manufacturer has not studied where the, where the genetic message goes. And I, I tell you, it can be taken up theoretically by any part of your body, maybe uh, in blood vessels around your heart. Maybe it'll be just maybe mostly stay in the muscle of your shoulder. Maybe some of it's going to go to your brain or to your ovaries. They have manufactured this. I'm damn it. I'm cross about this. That they, be, they because they pretended this is conventional vaccine, they said they're vaccines, but they're so unusual, so novel. This technology has never been used before. I believe they should have been required to study first. Where does it go after administration into your shoulder? And then when it gets there, what is it doing? Because these are genetic-based uh, vaccines, they carry a code. What do they carry a code for? They carry a code for a piece of the pathogen, a piece of the virus, the spike protein that sticks out on the surface. So this va vaccine, gene-based vaccine, travels around your body in a way we've not studied. It lands in some cells in your body and starts to take over the machinery and make copies of the spike protein. So two things about this. You know, one, it's just ridiculous that we, did, we do not know where it goes and how long it lasts. But here's the thing that I, I remember the day I discovered this in, in maybe about October last year. Um, spike protein that these gene-based vaccines code for, all of them, not quite the same part, but all of, it, all of them are spike protein-based. Spike protein is a toxin. Spike protein, if added to uh, human blood or animal blood, initiates aggregation of cells in your blood and that triggers blood clots so if you can't believe your ears listener uh, i couldn't I, I kept checking the literature and i sent it to some friends saying have i misinterpreted this no it turns out we've known since maybe 2007 or so the sars one outbreak in 2003 people started studying you know what had happened and they did some work with the spike protein from that earlier virus and there's no question all the manufacturers, the research people in those companies, they know what I've said. So I think they're not just, they're not lying, they're doing something criminally stupid. 
So these vaccines should be withdrawn right now because they involve administration to humans in an uncontrolled and unmeasured, unstudied way, a genetic code that introduces into your body uh, multiple copies of a toxic piece of, of the virus. So if that seems pretty bad to you, and you we, then, then that seems pretty damn bad to me as well. I'm blazing about it. It's, it's just a stupid, reckless choice of, 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 of vaccine design. I think they're all fundamentally flawed. I want you to stop and repeat what you just said, because our listeners <laughs> absolutely need to understand the enormity of what yeah. you just said. Yeah. And I would say if you slow down just a bit and emphasize okay. it, because that was critical information that they yeah. are. Not right. I know what you want me to do. I'm going to let me do that again. Then. OK, so normally a vaccine contains a dead piece of the thing that you, you, you want to be protected against. So you grow some up from the culture dish, you dry it out, you kill it with a chemical or with heat or whatever, and you give a unit dose of it to a person and, and your body says, hey, that looks like a bad thing. I, I'm going to memorize that so that if I see the living version, I'll be protected. That's what vaccines have been since, uh, you know, Pasteur and, and some Jenna. But that's not what you're getting this time. What you're getting is a piece of DNA or mRNA that is a piece of genetic code. And what does it code? It codes for something called the coronavirus spike protein. And that uh, genetic code travels somewhere around your body and the manufacturers were not required to study where it went or how long it lasted. That's a shock, but that's true. But here's the worst part. When your body copies that code and makes the spike protein, you have introduced, because the manufacturers have made you do it, a toxin into your body, spike protein, the trimeric complex structure triggers blood coagulation in mammals, including humans. Can you believe that that's the, the stupidity of my peers in, in Pfizer, J&J, &J, uh, uh, AstraZeneca, you know, uh, Moderna? How did they all pick the same ridiculously, absurdly, criminally, badly chosen? immunogen but that's what they've done if any one of those people from those companies would like to write to me and explain it i'll come on dr lee's show and explain it they're not going to write to me because it's a reckless and stupid thing so basically when you get a shot you are introducing uh, an unmeasured and uncontrolled copying experiment of a, of a, a virus toxin that's going to land somewhere in your body and here's the thing where we develop this is the awful thing that some people I reckon they, the vaccine ends up in, say, slow-moving uh, blood vessels. And where are the slow-moving ones? They're in the so-called venous circulation. You will have heard of cerebral vein sinus thrombosis. That's the slow-moving drainage of blood out of your brain. And it's the slow meandering and collecting of blood. So imagine that the virus, the, the vaccine lands in that particular blood vessel wall. And you know what? It will by chance, just probabilistically. Some people will get more of it there than others. Imagine if you are that person, it, the spike protein is now getting expressed in the blood vessel wall. Slowly, slowly, it starts to trigger coagulation. Before you know it, you've got a blinding headache. And before you know it, you've got a brain blood clot. Before you know it, your wife's dead. You know, don't, do not take these things seriously. I could feel my shiver go down my spine when I just said that. I'm not taking these things. And, you know, I'd almost rather jump off a cliff than take this because uh, th these things... It's, it's kind of Russian roulette. 
with all due respect to the Russians, other people will find that the vaccine ends up in the slow moving circulation that um, provides blood to your intestine. Now, you, most people know his intestine is very long, it's, I think it's 22 feet, and it meanders backwards and forwards from just below your diaphragm to your, you know, your tail end. And all the blood vessels surrounding that, they eventually drain into what's called the splanchnik circulation, the slow moving, slow draining. And people have reported abdominal pains that have gone on for days and weeks. They haven't just got a sore stomach. They've probably got essentially a stroke of the blood circulation to their bowel. And guess what? If that becomes uh, completely blocked, you will have death of part of your bowel. And that's a medical emergency which will kill you if it's not diagnosed and operated on. So that those, these are the major reasons. Uh, and almost everything that follows, I think, in terms of toxicity, follows from the lethally stupid bad choices that they've made. But I, I want to point to something that's to do with fer fertility. Uh, you know, I'm not a fertility doctor, so, but I am a toxicologist. And I read um, some papers early on, uh, maybe late summer last year, and I know I was reading around these spike proteins. And I happened to notice that the spike protein in coronavirus is similar to, not the same, but similar to a protein in females that's essential to forming the placenta. It doesn't matter what it's called, but it's called syncytin, okay, syncytin one. And although the similarity is not strong, it, the familial similarity is striking. You, know, they, they, you could see that they came from evolution millions of years ago, the same kind of origin. And, and I remember with terror, and I was discussing this with, with Dr. Bodarg in Germany, uh, we agreed that the similarity, although it was not strong, uh, if it was strong enough that when your body reacted to the spike protein and became immune, was there a chance that you might start making immune responses against this protein, this, this protein essential for pregnancy, syncytin? We agreed, we didn't think it was very likely, but we both agreed that if it happened, it would be tumultuous. And I'm afraid three weeks ago, a paper appeared in the learned journals showing that humans, human females, administered the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine within four days, it's circulating in their blood were antibodies to syncytin-1. So let me just say that again. When vaccinated with Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, within four days, they had antibodies against uh, a crucial, a component crucial to fertilization and maintenance of a baby through development. Don't you think, Dr. Lee, that that should lead to the immediate withdrawal from use in any female of childbearing potential of these vaccines. Don't you think they should do that? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. And I would What add, are they doing? What are they, what are they actually doing? Have you heard anyone doing anything anywhere in the world? No. No. I, I, can't, I can't believe fact, what's happening to the world. They are pushing it in reproductive age women and pregnant women. But Dr. Eden, you, you wouldn't know this, but my work for 35 years has been in the area of climacteric medicine, looking at the effects of ovarian hormone function on every organ system in the wow. body and testicular okay. hormones effects on every organ system in the body. I've been working with the international organizations in that field literally since 1998 and have written many consumer books about the ways in which the ovaries, particularly in women, can be damaged by all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I find this absolutely chilling what you're saying. And I've already seen it in my patients 
And I'm also concerned about the fact that, and you can talk more to this, but the biodistribution studies yeah. Yeah. that were translated from Japanese, we learned recently, showed a huge rise in concentration in the ovaries within 48 hours of the vaccine. Yes, with let me speak to that, Dr. Lee. Yes, let, I, this again, this, uh, so reproductive medicine is not my strength. Luckily, Dr. Dr. Lee is a leader in that field. What I, what I have studied though is uh, drug distribution, so-called kinetics and toxicology. So I, we studied this paper that had been part of the Japanese regulatory submission. So it was some work done in Japan on behalf of, I think, Pfizer company. And we got this translated and, and to our horror, uh, it, this was in mice, not in people, but it, it's the only toxicology study we've seen. And what it shows is that when they administered, um, uh, it was actually not the whole vaccine, but it was the lipid nanoparticle. So it's the, basically it's the delivery envelope of, of the vaccine. So I think it's reasonable until someone tells me otherwise to say if the delivery envelope gets uh, transmitted and concentrates in the ovary, then I think the vaccine will do as well. And what we saw was not just a sort of passive passing through the ovaries. If that happened, you would see the high levels early on in the experiment and as time went on, it would fade away, right? That's what it was doing in most tissues. But what frightened the hell out of me was as time went on, Dr. Lee, the concentration in the spleen and ovaries went up and up and up. And at the end of the experiment, they still had not shown whether or not that was the peak. And we're talking... 50 to 60 fold concentration. So it was 50 or 60 times higher than in other tissues. Now, we know that in blood, at least, the spike protein when expressed is toxic. Uh, what is it going to do inside the ovaries? Well, I don't know, but it's not a good idea that it is concentrating in ovaries. And here's the other thing. It doesn't, when, when you see the pickup of a material in a tissue over time, when it should just be falling away over time. What that tells me as an expert in this field is it's an active process. Something is making it stick in the ovary or something is making it uh, uh, home to that tissue. And I think that means it could stay there a long time, weeks to months, maybe forever. You know, that, that's the second piece of evidence that made me so angry that, see the, the pharmaceutical companies and your blessed FDA, they know this, this is public domain information. Why have they not withdrawn these, these drugs completely? Why have they not done that? You should write in to the FDA, get on the radio station. Anyway, so that's why I'm doing shows like I'm doing now. I'm, I'm, I need to tell people this information. Well, you, you do, and they need to hear it from a person with your scientific background in toxicology and in respiratory pharmacology, where you mm -hmm. have spent career studying how yeah. all of these things work in the lungs from a scientific standpoint. I'm, I'm livid at the way that Fauci and others have weaponized the use of the word science and accused all of us who are true physicians and scientists who are studying what the data shows, which is what a scientist does, and he's labeling all of us conspiracy theorists, which is, again, <laughs> total hogwash. Yeah, it is, it is, it is hogwash. Let me just mention uh, one example. I've seen recordings of Dr. Fauci telling us correctly early on last year. He said it's never someone without symptoms that drives 
uh, transmission of an epidemic. He said, it's always a symptomatic person. Well done, Dr. Fauci, that's correct. So he was telling us the truth early on, but he hasn't said that recently. He's very happy to go along with the fear narrative that a healthy person can infect another person. In the field of respiratory viruses, no, ladies and gentlemen, they can't. Fauci is lying. And in my country, the scientific advisors are lying to the public. Now, why they're doing that exactly, I could only guess. It's not my job to work out why they're doing it. My job is to tell you you're not being told the truth. And, and I would say, I've said this to lots of my colleagues uh, here, there is no unusual hazard in your environment right now, except your government's uh, lethally bad advice and, and the vaccine. Those are the only things that are hazardous. So uh, I, I, I didn't used to do this because I felt kind of responsible. But since masks don't work, and if you're not symptomatic, that is, you don't have coughs and colds, you're not a threat. I would say, chuck your, throw your mask in the trash today. Uh, hug people that you like. You're not going to give them a disease or catch a disease from them. And stop obeying ridiculous, damaging uh, you know, restrictions from so-called public health officials who I'm afraid they are at the very least corruptly involved in making lots of money for themselves. And worse than that, I think that there is a, uh, as Dr. Lee, as you uh, mentioned earlier, there, there, is, there is clearly some motivation to drive people to the point of vaccination because of telling you that you should be frightened and this is the, the, the solution, which is not true. Because I think what they're going to do is uh, register the fact of your vaccination using an app, a vaccine passport. Let, let me, this is really important because no matter how much you've believed or not so far about what your government's told you, it's absolutely essential that you resist any possible uh, vaccine-based uh, passport on your phone, on your, on your smartphone. That, don't, don't be fooled by the word either vaccine or passport. This is a digital ID system that is the and there isn't one anywhere in the world it's a common format uh that's got an editable health field that this will be it and and if you allow them to force you to have it and to show it as a condition of say gaining access to a mall or to the gas station or whatever you'll never get your freedom back and it's not helpful uh let's say i'm walking down the sidewalk you're walking towards me and the question is in the in the air uh I'm walking towards you. Has this person been vaccinated? Do I need to know the answer to that question to know whether it's safe to pass you? The answer is no. I look at you and if you're fit and well, remember what I just told you. If you're fit and well, you're not a respiratory viral threat to anyone else. And the same if you look at me, I'm not coughing. Uh, you can pass me you know, within a foot. Uh, you don't need to know my immune status. I don't need to know yours. Vaccine passports add nothing to public safety. What they do is provide whoever runs the database, it provides them with complete control over you because they can just say, you can't enter this small until you have your booster jab and then another booster jab and then another one. You will give up your free life forever. It'll be a scientific totalitarianism if you let them do this and it's not needed. Uh, so that's all I wanted to say about vaccine passports. You know, that they, they must not be allowed to take uh, route anywhere in our society. Well, I know that there are major legal efforts underway in the United States that are designed to prevent the mm. 
totalitarianism of a vaccine passport. This is outrageous. And Americans should really galvanize their fighting spirit on that front. You know, we just came from celebrating our Independence Day (laughs) and American fighting spirit has always fought against tyranny from the beginning of the colonists in this country in the 1600s. And those were my ancestors. It's in my DNA. So I really am surprised at how submissive Americans have become. And I actually see more of the, that spirit of fighting back against tyranny emerging in a number of places in Europe. Tell us what's going on on the other side of the pond. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I wish I could give you good news, but I, I am disappointed. I, I would say where I am in, in England, part of the United Kingdom, uh, that I don't think, I think we've never suffered from uh, communism or dictatorship in this country. And I think it means we are, we don't have a radar. Uh, some friends of mine from Poland say, you people in England, you've no radar for, for, for dictatorship and that we can see it happening. And so I'm not I'm not very optimistic about my own country. I think some of the United some of the states in the U.S. I think have got more vigor. I've watched what uh, your governors of um, Texas and Florida in particular. I just happen to watch those particular parts of the world. And these people seem to have they seem to have their head, their brain switched on. But here's the thing. Uh, what I really love about America was the fact that you managed to beat at the time the world's I guess the world's best fighting force. And how did you do it? Asymmetric warfare. <laughs> you know, it's like don't play, don't run up against them on their strength. So it's the same. We can get we can defeat this this absurdity, this frightening absurdity by doing some of the things I just said, which is discard your mask, stop complying. You know, stay peaceful, but hug people. If you're told to do ridiculous things uh, that do not uh, chime with with the scientific facts, tell them so and just walk on by. If enough people do that and we're all remaining peaceful, you just get your lives back. Don't get don't go down the rabbit hole of vaccine passports. And free, honestly, I, here's the thing. If you've been vaccinated, you know, I'm sorry that you have been sorely misled, very badly misled. But but please don't take another jab if you're halfway through the course and please stand between the vaccinator and your children for, for, for the love of God. Well, I also want our listeners to know I agree with what you just said. And and actually, there have been patients of mine that had medical risk that they should not have gotten the first shot. And if we if they told me in time that they had gotten the first one when I had advised not to based on their medical history, which is what the CDC says, the physician should evaluate the patient and give them a medical recommendation tailored to them. If they went ahead and I learned about it, I would encourage them not to get the second shot. But also, I want our listeners to know, many of us frontline physicians are treating the complications of the vaccines with some of the same approaches that have worked against the spike protein damage Mm -hmm. of the coronavirus itself. So if you've had the vaccine and if your own doctors are discounting that connection you need to contact some of the doctors in the telemedicine services that are experienced in treating COVID and vaccine complications. You can get information on that in our COVID patient guide 
to early treatment and telemedicine services on truthforhealth.org. Click on patient guide. It is free as a PDF you can download, or you can choose to make a donation to support our work to help more people. But you have access to the doctors who are using telemedicine to treat not only early treatment for COVID, but for the vaccine complications. And you must listen. These are connected. If you have something major that happens to change your health after getting these experimental shots, then you must look at that connection and get help with people who do know what can help you. Other comments, Dr. Eden? Yeah, well, I guess just wrapping up really, just to, just to say, uh, for reasons I don't fully understand, governments of the world all threw away their uh, pandemic preparedness plans all at the same time in February, March last year, all of them, they all adopted uh, a narrative of what I've called the eight COVID lies. You can look me up on Instagram uh, and okay, on, on Telegram, and I'm doing a lot of interviews. Why would they all adopt the same set of lies at the same time uh, and then follow uh, after a little while, including one of the lies that they said there's no treatments, but there are plenty. But under the guise of there not being any treatments, they emergency authorized these vaccines and started jabbing people all around the world. And then they've gone down the age range until they're about to reach your children. Does this sound like a sensible public health policy to you? It doesn't. And the way I've described it, I, it feels like dystopian nightmare. That, and I, I wonder, is someone trying to take over the modern world using fear, the media, censorship and vaccines uh, and this electronic passport as the, as the mode? Uh, maybe. I, I think something like that is happening. So, you know, remember, if people lie to you about your health, they're not your friends. Uh, and uh, I just do not accept these vaccines. They're intrinsically dangerous. And there are alternatives if you get sick. And I'll pause it there. Do you have a website where people can go to learn more about your work? Uh, no, I don't. I would say I'm the, here's the thing you should know about me. Um, I've never made a public comment about anything in my 32 years professional life, except to do with the company I was running or leading at the time. Never. I've never done anything on, uh, you know, anything on politics or save, save the rainforest or anything like that. Mike Eden has come out of retirement, early retirement, having made a lot of money in this industry. And I'm being beaten up all over the place, deplatformed, insulted, smeared. Uh, and I, but I'm talking to you because we are all being lied to. And it's my children and my grandchildren's futures that is a threat. Why am I saying this? Because I'm smart enough to realize you're being lied to. And I'm frightened about why that is that I want to tell people. So, so that's, that's the bottom line. You know, I'm an honest guy. I have no reason to be doing what I'm doing right now, which I've been doing night and day for a year, except to try and communicate to people. But the, and the, but the escape is simple. The way back to freedom is truth. Uh, uh, face down the lies and just get, get back to your lives and everything will be fine. There's no unusual hazard in your environment except the lies of your government and the vaccines. You are so right, and that's well said. And I want our listeners to know, Dr. Eden and I are working closely together, and we have invited him to be on the advisory council for truthforhealth.org, and we will help get his message out to the rest of the world because he is speaking truth 
about COVID early treatment and the success of that. And he is speaking truth about the COVID dangers of these experimental gene therapy injections. And on that note, we will have Dr. Eden back for another show on Voice of a Nation and the America Out Loud platform. Check out our many shows on the vaccine risk and COVID early treatment and get loud, get involved, speak out. Don't accept the medical tyranny and the lies anymore.